Challenge, a podcast that takes the mystery out of cultivating mental wellness. Today's question is, are you connected to your spirit? The role our spirit plays in our mental wellness is at once obvious and at the same time incredibly loaded. Obvious because when someone suffers from depression, we know that their spirit feels down, alone, and at times despairing and hopeless. Anxiousness is when our spirit is filled with fear. Yet for many, the spiritual is seen as being in the domain of religion, not something connected to our mental wellness. Nothing could be further from the truth. And in today's podcast, I'll talk about the role our spiritual part of self plays in cultivating mental wellness. But first, how did you do with last week's inner challenge? Did you practice psychological intelligence with someone you care about? I did, and no matter how long I have known and practiced these skills, when I have to put them to use, it is still heavy lifting. Actually, most of the time, it sucks. And I borrow a line from one of my cousins, Hey MJ, it's time to put your big girl pants on. Which is why, when we have a difference with someone, we often want to bury it under the rug, talk about it to a friend, or fill up pages in a journal with resentment and victim thinking. But for relationships to grow and be rooted in authenticity and intimacy, the skills necessary for psychological intelligence are a must. Yes, we must have words for our life story, not just on the outside of us, but on the inside of us. Putting words to an essay about our summer vacation is easy, but when a loved one has hurt or disappointed us, these words may not be so easy to find, and they're often accompanied by feelings and thoughts that may be intense and confusing. So pre-work is necessary, which is what I call round one. Brene Brown calls it our shitty first draft, which I think is an awesome way to think about it. In round one, we have a reaction to an event where we feel hurt, disappointed, angry, or something that is very uncomfortable. Perhaps the only thing we initially experience is emotional flooding or just an, a bunch of emotional shit. Without a flood plan, we tend to cope with this discomfort by blaming and unclaiming. We focus more on what happened on the outside, how that person wronged us, instead of what is happening on the inside of us, how we are affected by the situation, and what we need to do to care for ourselves in these scary, uncomfortable moments. Often, our outer focus is either wishing the event did not happen or wishing that the person who hurt us had acted differently. Going inward often sucks because instead of blaming, which looks like a conversation of one, usually filled with anger, or in claiming, which might include a flood plan that includes a bottle of wine, we need to move our awareness inward, where we replace the you with an I. I feel sad. I feel hurt. I feel isolated. I feel embarrassed. Or whatever is our own authentic emotional response to the event. In round one, we need to move our story from blaming and unclaiming to tending and befriending. Yes, this is the work of round one, and to say the obvious, 
This work cannot be hired out. Only when we have done the inner work of round one can we move on to round two, where we have used the process of tending and befriending our feelings so that they have been named and tamed. If we remember our feelings are not facts, but rather information about our reaction to an event, then we step into round two with a very different mindset, a sincere desire to try to understand the other person's story, as well as to share our story. So round one uses lots of mental wellness skills that we have talked about on this podcast. Notice on the inside, which helps us to validate our own reaction. We use our emotional intelligence where we name, tame, and aim our feelings connected to this reaction. This tends to allow us to continue to work on tending our mind so it does not run amok. Just a side note about anger in round one. Often in round one, our mind is running amok with anger. Anger is an emotion that takes us to blame in a nanosecond. I agree with Brene Brown, whose research tells us that anger is a secondary or indicator emotion, meaning it is a cover for other feelings that can be hard to put into words, let alone feel and express. So we flip into anger, which often makes us feel powerful. Connection in round two needs us to move through our anger in round one so we can uncover what it is that is beneath that anger. Often we will find pain, shame, guilt, disappointment, exclusion. If we have not mined our anger, which 99% of the time will lead us to tending and befriending these emotions, we are not ready for round two. Often our anger is fueled by our desire to be right or to have things a certain way. So when we shift from needing to be right to doing what is right, naming, taming, tending, and befriending, because our goal is connection and intimacy. How can we genuinely want to hear another person's point of view if our goal is to be right? It is just impossible. Again, you might end up being right, but without their point of view, You do not have all the information that only they can give to you. So just like the 18-year-old did in last week's example with his girlfriend, his psychological intelligence developed a high level of relational connection and understanding. I'm afraid few people have learned this since our culture doesn't have a systemized way of teaching relationship skills. We naively just think they'll happen. If people really understood how cancerous being right is instead of doing the right thing, some of the division in our culture today would be lessened. So keep practicing. Know this is really, really hard work. Do the work of round one. So in round two, you get information from the other person's story that helps you understand that person's reactions, behaviors, and needs, as well as parts of the situation You cannot have known or understood without this type of conversation. This will naturally move both of you to our story as you continue to use this skill of listening to learn and to understand the whole situation so lessons can be learned 
apologies given, and moving forward occurs with more connection and intimacy. This is a process that can take multiple rounds of discussion. It is usually not one and done. I consider cultivating psychological intelligence a spiritual practice, which leads us to today's topic of spiritual intelligence. Just a reminder, you'll find a one-pager for this episode, number 13, on my website at mjmurray.com. So let me begin by admitting, talking about the spirit is kind of impossible for two reasons. First, our spirit is invisible. We know it when we feel it, but since we cannot see it, it is easy to doubt and see as something that is an essential part of who we are and necessary for our mental wellness. I often say we have a spiritual part of self, but of course, that can be challenged by someone who says to me, show me. I cannot. The second reason talking about the spirit is difficult is because most people connect their spirit with God or religion. For many people, this can be a very helpful connection in forming and harnessing their spirit. But being a therapist for 35 years has taught me there are many ways for a person to connect to their spirit beyond God or religion. I certainly do not say this to offend or minimize what works for many, but rather to encourage us to be open to what works for all. I also want to emphasize that no religion owns the spirit. And in this moment in time, as many people struggle with organized religion, I encourage people to not throw their baby spirit out with the bathwater. Please don't do this because it's not only bad for your mental health, but for all the people you live and work with. My work with people has taught me that people connected to their spirit heal and live differently. I define our spirit as our unique life-giving energy that resides within us and nudges us toward virtuous and life-giving connections with ourself, others, and the world. I have certainly worked with people who had big spiritual moments when their spirits gave them what I call a boom message. Kind of like the mountaineer in 14 Peaks whose spirit told him to hike the 14 tallest mountains in the world in record time as a way to inspire others to do the impossible. He used his well-formed spirit to do what no one had done before. If you have seen this documentary, it is worth watching. But from my perspective, such spiritual boom moments seem to be the exception, not the rule. Because we see so many of these in movies and social media, I think it leads us to look for the boom in life and minimize and ignore the value of the quiet, steady drumbeat of the spirit that I have learned is incredibly valuable in cultivating mental wellness. Our spirit requires a deep listening that leads us to what I call an inner knowing, which often points us in the right direction. I used to teach this to the sixth graders at the school I worked at. I actually had a unit where I would teach them how to listen to their inner voice. Their homework for one week was to listen to their inner voice and do their best to follow it and then write a few paragraphs about their experiences. It was amazing. No boom moments that I remember, but lots of steady drumbeats. The students would write things like, I was playing my video game and I felt a gnawing sense 
that I should shut it down and do my homework. I was in a fight with my sister about the remote control, and I got a deep sense in my gut to not hit her. I was feeling so sad and lonely, and something in me said, go ride your bike, and when I did, I ran into my friends. Or, I have always wanted to read poems, but all my friends think poetry is stupid, but my heart just yearned to read it, so I checked out a Mary Oliver book, and I loved it. Can you see this process? They were using notice on the inside to connect and learn to listen to their spirit. This inner knowing that often comes with a bodily sensation leads us to do what is more life-giving in that one little moment in time. It is a sensation in the heart, a restraint felt in one's hands, a flow of energy in our arms, chest, or head that directs us towards something that is the next right step, be it our homework or a bike ride. We train ourselves to listen to the little things so that we can be ready for the big things. Yes, no different than sports or music where fundamentals are everything. Yes, our spirit guides our conscience, but it also opens us to our desires. Our spirit helps us not only come to know ourself, but trust ourself. I am working with a lovely 20-year-old young man. He is lucky enough to have had parents who taught him to listen to his inner voice. My words, probably not theirs. But like many his age, he went into college with a clear life plan that would lead him to prestige and wealth, investment banking. He began to study this field, did an internship, and could have most certainly followed this path and been successful. But something inside of him, his inner voice said, this is not for me. This might sound easy, but actually, at 20 years old, this is really hard work. Most of his peers are listening to their parents, their egos, their desire for wealth, or leadership videos that they can follow on YouTube that often don't consider the concept of listening to one's inner voice when it comes to leadership. The concept of learning to lead oneself before you lead another or before you set out to make a huge impact is virtually lost in our culture today. This young man was struggling with how to explain to his friends that investment banking just didn't feel right when logically it does make sense. Great leadership starts with leading oneself in a genuine and whole way. We do this by listening to our inner voice, which connects us to our spirit, which is one of the most unique parts of who we are. My work with teens has taught me that it's fairly easy to hear our inner voice at 12, but it's often buried by 17 because of our deep developmental need to belong. I used to thank my kids for not being popular because I knew that for many teens, the price of popularity was having to bury their inner voice in order to belong to the tribe. Our inner voice is the highway to our spirit, and we all can take detours, but we can circle back any time in our life and reconnect to our spirit. It is always there. Though it will take intention and effort to learn the skills of deep listening to oneself. As we become more intentional in making space for our spirit, we will connect more to love, beauty, awe, inspiration, gratitude, compassion, and a desire to use our gifts 
to do good in the world. As I said, a healthy spirit does not just happen. It is similar to our physical part of self. It needs us to learn how to develop it, care for it, and use it in life-giving ways. Forming our spirit can have moments of burn, just like working out our muscles. The 20-year-old I mentioned above is currently in a burn moment, where the spirit has led him away from his intended path, but what is next is not clear. Whew, living in this uncertainty is a spiritual burn. This state of unknowing is asking him to trust himself. Can he hold the uncertainty? Does he have the patience to wait it out? I hope so, because this is what is necessary in order to stay true to oneself. All we have to do is take the next virtuous step today and be strong and courageous enough to move and tend and befriend the uncertainty, sometimes on an hourly basis. It is often in moments of spiritual burn that people use other spirits like alcohol and drugs to diminish their uncomfortableness. Unfortunately, when this happens, people forego building the muscles of resilience and learning the insights that come when we move through hard times. Yes, our spirit resides within us, but for it to be healthy and flourish, we must learn how to trust it and allow it to lead us to do what is good for ourselves and others and to inhabit it on a daily basis. As a therapist, I often think our spirit is the most underutilized medicine in our mental health toolkit. Once we have cultivated the skill of listening to our inner voice, we can then begin to cultivate our connection to our spirit on a regular basis. In working with junior high students, I learned that I could help them develop connection to this innate part of self, the spiritual, if I, number one, help them identify when they connected to their spirit. Number two, encourage them to connect to it daily. And number three, help them understand and encourage them to protect their spirit by becoming aware of what blocks or alters their access to it. Let me share with you how I taught them this process. I used to give to my junior high students the assignment to become aware and identify as they move through the year when and how they connected to their spirit, their inner energy that was a life-giving force for good, beauty, connection, awe, joy, love, generosity, compassion. As one student asked, MJ, are you wanting us just to look for when we are our best self? Yeah, that's a great way to put it. I would have to remind them that this life-giving force is all lowercase. We are not Yoda. We are spiritual beings, and this energy does not need to be huge, but it can be a small surge that helps us connect to something or someone in a positive way. It just helps us feel a sense of specialness, maybe a little bit of awe. I probably collected more than a thousand responses, and from them I learned three things. One, one asked, people could identify moments, events, people, and activities that connected them to their spirit. Two, there were 
very few identical answers. And three, once people identified what connected them to this positive life force, small f, not capital F, they found it quite easy to connect with again and again, which helps them renew their spirit, which is great for their mental health. The students learned that finding their spirit in the everyday was often quite easy. Here are some examples. Walking in the woods, singing in a choir, writing a poem, sitting on their deck, reading, holding hands, cradling a baby, decorating a cake, dancing, being quiet, seeing a school bus, watching corn being harvested, being in a hotel room when traveling to a new place, being hugged after crying, and of course, hundreds of examples that included animals. My answer was the school bus. I really love to learn, and somewhere in my early adulthood, I had this thought of how incredible it is to live in a country that values education so much that we send buses to pick people up and drop them off at their home. To me, it has always been such a sign of hope. And every time I see a yellow school bus, I get a surge of positive energy. In a conversation I had with one of my students, he asked if the spirit could be something that was not life-giving, not positive. No, we can have negative energy, but the spirit I am talking about is positive and life-giving. While we are all quite capable of tons of negative energy, this energy does not lead to mental wellness or spiritual connection. Negative energy, as all of us living in this time know far too well, actually leads to disconnection. I think of negative energy like junk food. We are kind of drawn to it, but it's not good for our health. So when it comes to food, we have to discipline ourselves to eat healthy. Same is true with our spirit. Step one is to use deep listening and inner knowing to recognize and identify when our spirit emerges within us. Step two is to connect to that spirit on a regular basis. I think people would be surprised at how often as a therapist, I tell clients to go out and do something that will lift their spirits. Something that isn't necessarily productive, but something that just allows them to have a moment connected to their spirit and when they walk away, they feel a bit better. I ask that it not be connected to technology. Let me give you some examples from my clinical work. One of my clients takes a walk in his favorite woods, which he jokingly says is his favorite church. Another has found if he does not read for at least 15 minutes a day, his spirit sags. Another makes cookies for her two elderly neighbors every week, and she says this is pure medicine for her. She finds herself thinking throughout the week what she will make for them on Saturday morning, and it really lifts her spirits. Another fosters kittens. For many people, it's a dance class, a pickleball league, going to ceramics, going to meditation class or church services, and of course, gardening. These small acts, which connect us to beauty, knowledge, kindness, and fun that is free of serious competition, often help people to connect to their spirits in uplifting ways. As I watch people develop this part of themselves, there seems to be a lovely balance between connecting to one's spirit to refuel oneself and connecting to others through acts of generosity and service. The research on generosity shows its incredible value in mental wellness. 
So as I helped my students understand this process, part one, identifying their spirit, part two, connecting to their spirit, part three, was learning to protect their spirits. First, in our culture, we are enticed by lots of false spirits. We get thousands of false messages encouraging us to buy or do things, promising that we will feel better, when in actually nothing could be further from the truth. We need to be a bit wiser and understand how these messages often get us off track and lead us to prioritize the wrong things that can really harm our spirits. I encourage people to think about the endless barrage of capitalism and how it affects their spirit, not to mention the planet. One of my all-time favorite workshops that I used to give was entitled The Good Life Versus the Abundant Life. It was my attempt to give people a break from rampant consumerism and a process so that they could think about it on their own terms. To protect our spirit, we are wise to wrestle with the consumer world so we are not led astray by its seductive messages. We also need to protect our spirits from spirits. You know what I mean, alcohol, pot, and drugs. No one sees the irony of alcohol being called a spirit quite like a therapist. In my work with people who struggle with alcohol or other substances like pot, I have learned that they often went from use to abuse to addiction because they were desperately trying not to feel bad. Their spirit was suffering and they found a solution. Maybe they were suffering from depression, anxiety, the loneliness of not belonging, or some type of trauma. And they found a spirit that gave them some relief and before they knew it, they were no longer using but they had moved to the state of abusing. And for some of the unluckiest, they ended up addicted. Addiction makes me incredibly sad because I know in most cases, it began as a sincere attempt to feel better. So I just want to say the obvious. When our spirits are hurting due to depression, anxiety, loneliness, or trauma, we need therapy, not alcohol, pot, or other drugs. Our spirit can be one of the first parts of us that lets us know we need professional help. So let's take protecting our spirit seriously and really pay attention to it when we start to use substances to help us feel better. I had a former client who called me once and said, I think I need a few sessions. I'm smoking pot a lot and drinking daily. She was in a tough work situation that required her to up her emotional intelligence, which in my opinion was already fairly well developed. She tried to calm her spirits with her old friends, alcohol and pot. And when she became aware of this, she realized it wasn't working and called me. Now that is emotional intelligence. Two sessions and she was back on her game. One of the saddest things for me is that as state after state has legalized marijuana, there has been almost no education on what is considered normal and healthy use. At least with alcohol, we give it a try. So this often puts the responsibility of learning what is healthy use on the individual. Some people can do that, others cannot. As one client said to me, hey MJ, pot is easy, life is hard, I chose pot. I want to be a messenger that says that during adolescence, we answer the question, who am I? We learn life skills so we can move into adulthood in a productive, competent way. It is my belief 
that we most authentically and effectively do this if we do not have substances in our system every day. I know what I'm saying is not really a popular position, but I have said it to thousands of students because I want them to understand that just because something is legal, it does not mean it is healthy. We need to protect our spirit by looking at how our culture can lead us astray, often for economic benefit. When it comes to protecting our spirit, nothing quite is so helpful as good self-care. So let me just give a shout out for nests. You know what I've been talking about, and I really want to encourage you to help yourself protect your spirit by practicing good nutrition, exercise, sleep, technology, and stress habits. I'm not going to go into detail because you can go back to that podcast should you need it. One of the things that I think gets in the way of protecting our spirit is fear. Nothing dampens the spirit quite like fear and anxiety. They are two sides of the same coin. There's a lot of fear floating around in our world today. A lot. Even before the pandemic, there was a lot of fear. But now, there's even more. A lot of this fear is connected to real things. We should have a healthy fear of the pandemic, climate change, and so much unchecked violence. Yet, over-focusing on these can really get in the way. How do you know if you're over-focusing? It's pretty easy, because you find yourself not living in the present, but worried about the future. Your mind is there, not here. So I encourage us to stay in the now. Do what you can to protect yourself from COVID. Educate yourself and do what you can to help the climate. Take a stand that you are comfortable with when it comes to gun control. And then move your attention and your energy to the work of today. Nothing decreases fear of the future like living in the present with purpose and clarity. Listen to that inner voice that says, get off Twitter and stop scrolling on hours of news feed and go for a walk. Rewrite that paper or call your grandfather and see how he is. Living in the present will decrease our fear and increase our ability to live with clarity, purpose, generosity, and life-giving actions. When our mind goes running amok, like it will, just tend and befriend it and bring it back to now. It is not surprising and actually quite beautiful that in these hard times, we see a new emphasis on breath work and meditation as tools to help us realign our spirit. In this pod class, I have stressed the importance of having words for our life story, the importance of understanding what mental wellness is and how training our brain and tending our mind helps us to stay in the river of wellness by encouraging us to be flexible, adaptive, and coherent, which allows us to have more energy and stability. I've encouraged us to practice self-care using the acronym of NESTS. We stay in this river of wellness by using emotional intelligence and finding a tribe to belong to where the tools of social and psychological intelligence foster love, belonging, compassion, and connection. These tools all help us when we end up on the banks of rigidity or chaos to right ourselves, repair our relationships, and once again be in a place of mental wellness where we can use our gifts in order to be contributing members 
to our families, workplaces, and communities. As I complete this last pod class, I realize that when I started this, we thought we were in the end of the pandemic to now find ourselves in the middle of surge number four, where our mental wellness is being tested again and again and again. This is hard. I am choosing to end this podcast by asking you to understand how connecting you to your spirit is essential when it comes to cultivating mental wellness, because my life's work has taught me that without the above skills, the spirit often gets lost or worse, becomes ill. It may be accurate for us to realize that when we cultivate mental wellness, our reward is more access to a healthy and life-giving spirit that resides within each of us. This spirit is an essential tool which guides us in challenging times like these and offers renewal on a daily basis. Brene Brown recently defined spirituality as a deeply held belief that we are inextricably connected to each other by something greater than ourselves. Telhard de Chardin says, we are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. I find these two perspectives to offer each of us encouragement on the important role our spirit plays in our life. So as you move through your week, set out to identify, connect, and protect your spirit on a daily basis. Yes, this is your inner challenge.